0: Well, if you have a Bible, we turn with me to the book of Jude, which is the next book, next the last book in the New Testament. Jude, and um, it's a letter he never wanted to write. He never wanted to write this letter to Jude, but he had to write it because of the state of the... The church, really, well, what was happening to the church, and uh, there was a lot of opposition, and people were struggling, and um, they were thinking, Where is God in all this? Where is God? And uh, you know, they're under attack, and they were struggling. And so, Jude writes this letter, and it's an amazing thing. I'm sorry, uh, we're going to go through at a terrific lick because it is uh, 25. Verses that really are packed. It's really it's a very dense book. It's like a diamond, really. Diamond cuts, and this is really cutting. So we, we'll come up behind. We'll try and go through that. Give it up. And we'll try and follow through with it. And um, it's really he it says Jude, a servant or bondslave of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting, isn't it? That because Jude is the fourth youngest brother of Jesus, same mother. Different, obviously a different father. And it's interesting, he doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus. I could give you the verses to prove that last point. But remember, the brothers, they didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe him at all. In fact, later in his life, they said, in his ministry, they said, he's beside himself, the man's schizophrenic. Well, what has happened to these people? 'Cause neither Jude nor James, who writes a letter, who are brothers of Jesus, call themselves brothers of Jesus. They call themselves servants. Because they have met Jesus after his resurrection, and he is they've seen who he is. This lad they grew up with, as it were, Who well, is their elder brother, of course, this you know, he is Lord. And they now call him master and lord, and not brother. It's it's an amazing testimony, really, that what what they'd seen. They don't view him as a family member anymore, but as Lord. But he writes with great urgency. He writes with great urgency because there is an attack against the church, and um, so don't be surprised. He's saying, you know, we are under attack. The church will always be the true Bible, spirit-filled church will always be under attack. And he wants you to see that. And it's a call to arms, right? We're a fight for our very life as a church. A fight to death. Between the powers of evil and the powers of God. Now he says, I really didn't want to write this letter. He says, look, verse 3, verse 3. Where are we? He says, he says dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you again about the salvation we share. I'd love to tell you some great biblical truths. He says, "I felt I had to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints." I didn't want to write this letter. He says, "I had something else I wanted to share, but news has come. It's been put on my heart. I, this is what it's about. This is what it's about." Now, you know, too busy is he writing? Well, looks, look who he's writing. Let's go back to verse 1. Three things about what it means. To, what is your identity? Three things. It's amazing. You could spend a whole morning on this first verse. You know, To those who have been called. That's the first thing about a Christian. You have been called. Not that you called out to God, but he called you. Just as Jesus called Lazarus, Lazarus is dead and cold in the tomb. Jesus says, come forth. In the same way, he has called you out. He has spoken life into you and you come alive spiritually. You're called, right? The second thing he says is that you're loved by God the Father. There's nothing in you which would attract God to you. Nothing. There's a lot would repel him. We're ungodly. We're unrighteous. Paul says we're enemies. There's a... Perversity, the sin, There's stuff in our heart that would repel him, but the reason for his love for you is found in the heart of God, and that's our confidence. That's our great confidence. But the third thing, which is really why the letter's written, he says to those who are kept by Jesus Christ. Wonderful! It's wonderful. In other words, he's keeping you. You are saved. You will not lose your salvation. He is keeping you. Right. You're the, as it were, the engaged bridegroom. We haven't had the wedding yet. The church is engaged. We're kept special, pure for him. And that's what it's about. And so he writes. That's who we are. And, uh, but he says, actually, there's one thing we must, must do. One thing is of supreme importance. We must contend for the faith. The faith, that means the gospel. That's all that's true that God the Father has done through His through the Lord Jesus Christ. Past, present, and future. That's the faith. It's, it's been inscripted. It's been put into the Word. And we are to contend for it. We have to look after it. It's definable. It's nothing to do with your, how you feel or any experiences. It's, it's objective. It's the faith. And uh, it's been entrusted to us. He says to Timothy, guard the good, the attractive deposit that's been given to you, been trusted to you. He says, if you take all your jewels and your money, put it in a, a chest, a box, and you go to the bank and say, would you put that in your safe deposit? That's what he's saying. Put it into, you go to the bank and put it into your safe deposit. And that's what we're, we're entrusted with it. And he says here, he says, no, it's verse 3. But go back to verse 3, verse 4 and verse 3. Anyway, it says, contempt for faith has been entrusted to us. We've been given this as a church, as people. Once I worked for London University uh, invigilating exams and they gave you an envelope full of the papers, all the examination papers. And then you had to, at a certain time, you had to give them all out. You had to look after those, those examination papers because you know, nobody could get hold of them until they put, the, the appropriate time. Well, we have been given this amazing truth, the, the word of God. This isn't just the word of man. 3,808 times it says, the Lord says, thus says, God.' this is the word of God. Peter says, Prophecy did not find its origin in the will of God, but men prayed and wrote as they were driven, as they were carried, men spoke as they were carried by the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God. It's, it's, it's once for all. It's, it's, it applies for every century, every generation. Nothing new needs to be added. There's no new doctrine, it's all been given right? Once for all, that's the key word. Well, you say, ah, you can't expect me in High Wickham in August 2019 to believe a book that was written the latest AD 100. Are you telling me to believe that? Don't you know the progress we've made in science and medicine and all that? And not only that, did you really know the problems I have to face in Wickham? Are you asking me to commit intellectual suicide and believe this stuff? Well, let me just, in answer to that, say, you know, uh, our problems have never changed. The biggest fear we have is death. In those days, it might have been with bows and arrows or spears or or swords. Now, it could be bombs, missiles, nerve gas. But it's still our biggest fear. Death. Whether it's come through viruses or bacteria or cancer. You see? Our instincts have not changed. Man's instincts have not changed. We still long for food and for drink, for sex, for happiness. Our instincts are just the same. Man has not changed. Our enemies have not changed. You know, whether well, it's lightning, thunder, you know, and floods, cancer, foreign enemies. Our enemies have not changed. They've not changed. Man has not changed at all. We are basically the same. And that's, and that's why this book is incredibly relevant. Don't ever think this book is out of date. This is, there's, there's nothing more up to date than the Bible, my friends. Nothing. And um, and we have to we have to contend for for this faith, and um, nothing's changed. And um, the Bible is the plan and purpose of God, and that's the great message. It's perfectly clear. It has to be understood and explained. It has to be defined. And and Jesus says, I had to write to you. I wanted to write something else, but I had to write to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That's the chief function of Israel was to to contend for this faith. And now the chief function of us, the church, is to embody the faith and to preach it. That's our, that's our, our task. So we have to contend for it. And um, now the word contend is a very strong word. It means well it's, it has to do with, it's agonising, it's, there's a cost to it, there's a battle on, it's hard, it's unfashionable, there's an opposition. But we nevertheless we have to contend for it. I mean Prince Charles the, who will succeed our Queen, probably, is, um, you know, he says that he will not be called the defender of the faith which previous Protestant monarchs have, have, have been called. He wants to be called defender of faith. In other words, he wants to be called the right, that everybody has the right to believe what they, and free to believe what they believe, which is a commendable thing. But it's not what we are called to do. Each one of you is called to be defender of the faith. We are called to contend for the faith. Not some right to believe, which we we trust is uh, available in our land. Now, you see? But there's a problem. Now let's look at the text, verse verse. For, this is the problem, for certain men whose condemnation was written about them long ago have secretly slipped in among us. They've crept in, they've wormed themselves in. Now, as we said before, the Bible, the Christianity will always be under attack. Always. Jesus, right from the beginning, from the so-called Sermon on the Mount, says, beware of false prophets will come among you as dressed like sheep, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They come as lovely, nice people, speaking religion, you know, but they're ferocious wolves. They'll ravish all that is precious. Paul says the same in Acts 20. talks to the Ephesian elders. Now you know that when I leave, savage wolves will come among you who will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise. And distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So he says, be on your guard, says Paul. Now I could give you other quotes from John and from Peter and from our Lord himself. The Bible will always and the truth will always be attacked. And the chief damage will be done not from persecution. In fact, the apostles don't often mention Nero and Domitian, the Roman emperors. The real damage, and I've studied this all my life, in one sense, will come from within the church. That's how it works. That's the damage. The terrorist comes in as a sleeper and at the appropriate time blows himself up and blows all around him up. And that's what happens. The virus comes in, slowly, subtly. The cancer cell comes and starts dividing and dividing. Inward, that's the problem. Now, why is Jude here? See, You've got Revelation at the end when Jesus comes in glory and we the the nations are judged and we sing the hallelujah chorus. That's the future. Now, there's a lot of present stuff in Revelation, I know. But just before then, you've got Jude. Why is it there? Because Jude says, do you remember what Jesus said? Do you remember what Paul said? Do you remember what John said? Do you remember what others said about the false prophets? They're here, he says. They're among us. They're working. They're doing the... The work among us, and he's saying that. In fact, you know, if we look at the first book of Revelation, five of the seven churches were beginning to fall and fail before the end of the first century, they're under attack. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be surprised, and Jude, you know, that's what it's about. After the gospel, you've got the acts of the apostles, God moves, but now. Through our age, and this is our Judas for our age, it's the act of the apostates. People will come and will draw men after them. That Satan has found out that is the best way. Cults and heresies. And unbelief, it works best. He's found that. And, um, And these prophets come. Now look what it says about them. Verse four, they are godless men. I think it says... Yeah, men, certain men whose condemnation was written about them. Right? They they're godless. Right? They're godless. Now, what does he mean by godless? It doesn't mean they don't know their Bible. It doesn't mean they don't know theology. It doesn't mean they're not in Christian service. What it means is they have no fear of God. They di- they dismiss the. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. They get rid of all that stuff, right? They have a sentimental view of God, you see? There's no fear of God in them. And he says, look, he says, they change the grace of God into a license for immorality. You see, I was brought up on this stuff. God is love. It'll all work out in the end. And uh, God, as Heinrich Heine says, God will forgive. That's his business and... uh, you know, and uh, I can live as I like. I've made a decision. I can live like anybody else, really. And uh, but you see, it's not like that. They change the grace of God, which is the gospel, into a license for immorality. What I mean is, there's often talks about God's love is unconditional. My friend, that is not true. God's love is not unconditional. It's free. It's undeserved, it's unconditioned, but it's not unconditional. What do I mean? I mean this, when you become a Christian, Jesus is Lord. What I mean is, when the rich young ruler says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He says, and that just applies to this man, this particular, sell all you have. That's your problem, money. A woman caught in adultery, he says, He says, neither do I forgive you. Sin no more. You see, it's conditioned. If you want want life, well, you do it my way. You see, it's better than unconditional. It's better because he changes us. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to follow me, you've got to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. And the gospel is, he will change us. His love is free, gracious. But we have to use a word called repentance. We have to turn. And that's what it's about. But these men were saying differently. And also they were denying that Jesus Christ is our only sovereign Lord. And we have time to go into that. you know. But they were denying it. That Christ is the Savior from sin, is the anointed one. And, but only Christ is to be worshipped because he's fully God and fully man. See, let's say as a fellowship, you know, we're... We're anti-pornography, we're anti-divorce, we're anti-abortion, we're anti-drinking. We can say all these things. But actually, our call, we, Jesus is our Lord. We, we want to preach Jesus. He's the answer and hope for everybody. That's, a, that's our message. And, um, and, but then, we could get very complacent. And Jude obviously realizes that. And so he gives these three illustrations. Frightening. It is frightening, this book. I've read it 20 times more than that lately. More than that. There are three illustrations of Jews, angels, and Gentiles. The first illustration, look, he says, in verse 5. He said, I want to remind you. Now, for many of you, it might be new, but for these people, he's reminded them. The Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now, that's the most familiar story in the Old Testament. Every Jew would know that. That's the core of their faith, the Passover. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and they got out of Egypt. Now, the most natural thing for them was to worship God and trust him. He'd delivered them. They'd seen the plagues of Egypt. They'd been delivered from the Egyptians. The water had parted. You know? They'd They'd been... Supernatural provided with food, the quail, the manna, waters came from the rock. God had done miracle after miracle. But then they worshipped another God. They, they had these great calves, bull calves. They worshipped mammon. Go to Wall Street. You'll see one at the end of Wall Street in New York. It's a great brass bull calf. It, it's just, it's, it epitomizes it all. They worshipped mammon. Well, these people went that way. Now, the natural thing for them, he says, look, you God after this great deliverance. But no, he says, they, he said, look, take the land. Oh, no, no. They didn't trust him. And the sad thing, is, because of that, you have a million or so graves in the desert that should never have been there. They should have got into the promised land and died there. It was so unnatural after God's grace. And then the next, the angels The angels that did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These angels, worshipping God, princes in heaven. I don't know what it's about, but it seems great and glorious. Satan has already, he's gone off, he's done his own thing. But there's another group. It's all in Genesis 6, really. But they come down, and for some reason, whether it's pride, they're lost. And it's pretty sordid. They want sex with human women. So they have sex with them and they produce a hybrid creature, the Nephilim. Ah, I, I, we haven't time to go into all this. But it was so unnatural. The, the natural thing was to worship God. And the, one of the saddest verses, well, the saddest verses in the whole of Scripture. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on earth. And he had great pain in his heart. And so he said, I will wipe mankind, mankind off the face of the earth. And because we know then there was, great, there was Noah's flood. These, people, these angels should have been so grateful, but they go into this perversion. Now then, move on quickly, verse 7. In the similar way, Solomon, and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, Admar and you know, they... Gave themselves to sexual immorality and perversion, right? If you know the story, in, in the lot was given a choice, and he chose as opposed to everyone. He said, "Have whatever land you want." So, lot looked down the valley, and he said, "It was like the Garden of Eden. It was like the Garden of the Lord, and it, it was a paradise. It was wonderful, and it prospered. But then this uh, terrible incident." When these inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted sex with these men, these visitors, rather than sex with women. And God was very angry. The natural thing was to have sex with women. They may say, well, it's natural for us. It may be natural for them, but it's not natural for God, my friends. And God was very angry. And there was a massive earthquake. And bitumen and sulfur spewed in the ground. And if you go there today, it's, the cities have gone. And you, for centuries you could see them from Jerusalem smoldering. And, and you see, just as the angels in, in the previous story were kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment... In the last day. So these people will be judged. And verse 7 he says. They serve as an example of those who will suffer punishment for eternal fire. You, you say. Well you may not think these are serious. But God thinks they're serious. And he, he's saying don't be complacent. As he says to Paul. Paul says to the Corinthians. Examine yourself. Whether you be of the faith. Well, and, and then he goes back. He says now look at these, these false teachers. That are among, they've come among us. You know he's following second Peters Peter's second letter, it's all in there. He's probably read it. It's probably written a couple of years before. And in the same way, these dreamers, these dreamers, it's a technical word for people who have prophetic words and and visions, and these come we've got a vision, we don't need the old the, don't need all, the old stuff. and you get it right through the centuries. We have a vision, we're new, you know. Joseph Smith and the Mormons, Charles Russell and the JWs, Mary Baker Eddy and the Christian scientists, Jim Jones and all the Guiana, suicide lot, and I could give you dozens of others. We've got, listen to us. Don't listen to that. Listen to me. These people all say that. We're the final authority. And he says they pollute their own bodies, they reject authority. We don't need the Bible, you know? Jesus didn't rise. Well, you know, he, he's, metaphorically he rose. There's no such thing as hell. You've heard it. And they they slander uh, celestial beings. Really, the word is just doxas. It means glories, angelic beings. In some sense, the law... You remember the law at Sinai was mediated through angels. God mediated through angels, the Ten Commandments. And in some ways, the... Um, uh, the angels have a sort of sort of guardianship of um, of the law and, and so these people were discarding all that we don't need all that stuff we're not into that we're we're not into that stuff and very briefly he says look these people and I, I, we haven't time to go into them, he says verse 11 they've gone the way of Cain they were angry people didn't, I didn't get my way, we will do it my way they're greedy he says they rush for profit in you know, as as in Balaam's era, you know, Balaam, the prophet, would prophesy for money. It didn't work, but uh, they're like that. They're greedy. You know, they're in it for the money. And he says they're they're destroyed. They're being destroyed, as in Korah's rebellion. You know, Korah in Moses' time and afterwards. He's you know, Korah. I want to be in charge. He was ambitious. I want to lead. And you see it through the centuries. We do our own thing. You know. I want to rule. I want a platform. I want a ministry. I want to do my thing. Let's we'll do a new thing. They're not into submission, not into servanthood at all. These people they are like that angry, greedy, ambitious. And he said, and the problem is, verse 12, there are blemishes on your love feast. They're ruining your worship and your fellowship. they are shepherds who feed themselves. Oh, we've seen that through the centuries. The Catholic and the Protestant people look after themselves. Big houses, big cars and, you know, healthy, wealthy and wise and the world sees right through it and laughs, you know, make a career out of it and uh, there are clouds without rain, clouds without rain, you know, you're in the Far East or the Middle East should say and you've got, you have a field and you see a cloud, it's ah, great, it's going to rain, wonderful rain, we don't think that way but... And this cloud comes and it comes and it comes and it comes and goes. Nothing. How many times as a boy and as a teenager sitting under men and thinking, and women, and thinking, oh, today. And it just comes and it goes. Nothing. And that's what it's like. No anointing, no authority, no truth. Nice people, though. But cloud, you know, with Clouds without rain. And they said they're like autumn trees, without fruit, uprooted, twice dead, lifeless, faithless, you know, they're empty churches. That's why Britain is today, my friends. My parents, I grieve, because for 50 years at the beginning of the last century, my parents knew nothing. In the Anglicans and the non-conforming church, they were, by and large, a lost generation. We are greatly blessed, my friends. Those of us who have been born again the last 50 years. But that generation got virtually nothing. There were a few things. Because they were fed with cloudless rain. Or rain without clouds that didn't give anything. And he says, oh, they were waves. <laughs> they were like waves of the sea forming in their shame. Oh, they could, some, you could get preachers. Pulpiteers, they used to call them. They are great orators. You know they could tell great funny stories, comedians, but they were just nothing. He says, they're like <laughs> wandering stars you know the mariners used to guide their ships with the stars. Don't guide your ships with these stars as you'll finish them on the rocks. they were wandering stars. but now he goes on to but you, my dear friends, look, verse 17, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold in the last days, The last days, my friends, are from the first coming of Jesus to the second coming. We're in the last days. In the last days, there would be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. But you, my fr- dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith. It is a most holy faith because it's about God. It's from God. It takes us to God. It makes us like God and sets us free. It's a most holy faith. How do you do it? Well, we could preach a week on this, couldn't we? A fortnight. He says, He says, well, he says, Look, He says, Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. That's the point of the Spirit, is to get you praying. You're speaking tongues, pray in tongues. He who speaks in tongues, builds himself up. Now, there are other means of prayer, but pray in the Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments that's how you keep in his love you, you keep your eyes on him you haunt Calvary you spend your time seeing the glory of what he's done right and not only that you wait as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ right you pray you keep in his love you wait you live in hope as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't that a wonderful thought you're going to die and I'm going to die what are we going to get Christian? well I, th- I know we've got many things but he says we'll get mercy that's the first thing, as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, as He brings you into eternal life. I mean, on the way, He says, "You know, you've got to um, be merciful to those who are in doubt." We'll meet many people this week who are confused. Reach out to them; they're in doubt, they're confused, they don't know. You alone have been given the way of life, my friends, and not only that, others are in a real mess—they're committed to the wrong way. Snatch those from the fire and save them. You'll get singed, he says. It'll, you'll be hurt. And so it. They're really against you, but you go for them. And um, it's dirty work. In fact, the word he uses, it's, it's rather strange. He said, it's like dealing with soil underwear. You'll get, I'm just warning you, he says. But the final thing is this. Will we be able to keep it? Will we, will, will we, will we make it? Will we make it? You know, will we make? You see, the angels fell, the Jews fell, the people in, in Solomon Garden—they fell. Will we f- keep keep going? Will we keep going? Well, he says the great blessing. <laughs> he says, "Remember the first first verse: We're kept by Jesus, right?" But he says, "We're kept for Jesus." I was saying something the other day, and they said, "Well, now unto Him who is able to keep you from form. we know He's able." But is he willing? And I thought, everything in me shouting, yes. You see, he is. He, he said, it's now up to your faith. My friends, if it was up to my faith, I'm down the chute. I know it's my faith. But I'm not saved by faith. I'm saved through faith. I'll trust it. But if it's up to my little faith, I've had it. You've had it. I stood the other week or three weeks before El Capitan, in Yosemite. 3,000 feet of solid rock and this guy was his name Alex Holland? yeah something like that he climbed it without a rope or a beat on... <laughs> there's no way I, in a million billion years to climb that with rope and with every other help there's no way you can stand before his holy presence without his grace and help right no way will we do it? well now unto him who is able right He's able. Is he willing? Is he willing? Well, I always think when you're buying something, the, the guarantee seals the deal, I always think. If the guarantee is good, the deal's good, right? I'll come and show... I'll let me just give you 10. Think, no, I haven't time for that. But. You know, he's a saviour, my friends. He's a saviour. Not... He doesn't make you save a bull. He saves. The thing that's going to keep you out of heaven is your sin. He saves from sin, right? He's a saviour. He doesn't make you save a bull. And he's going to do it. Jesus says, you know, Lord, you know, I thank you, Lord, for those you have given me. For they are yours, John 17. Every Christian is a gift from the Father, the Son. Do you not think Jesus is going to look after you? Jesus said, this is the will of the Father, that I lose none of those who have given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. It's God's will, that Jesus keeps you safe, right? And he says, I will raise them up on the last day. That's it, you have his word, and he's all powerful. He's given you eternal life. That's a gift, he's not gonna take the gift back. The gift is the gift that gives on giving. He's gonna be you eternal life forever. And he, if it is God who justified you. Who is to condemn? When God justified you, all your sins were dealt with. Past, present and future. All were dealt with. There's not going to be any, right? All were dealt with. You were adopted, my friends. He's not going to tear up the adoption bill. You're a wrong lot. No, no. No, no. You, some of you have adopted kids. You might have felt that way, but you haven't, really, you know, might, you haven't kicked them out. No, no. God's not going to do that. And he, he prays for you. He lifts, He makes intercession for all the time. And what he started, he will finish. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. All in the same Greek tense. In God's sight, it's as good as it's happened. Now Jesus said, Jude said, "Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, He's willing." If you say, "I might fall through his fingers," my friends. You are part of his fingers. You are part of the body. You are part of him. Right? God finishes what he he starts. Right? No one can snatch out of my my hands, says Jesus. No one. No one. Not even the devil. And, And the Father is greater than all. No one can snatch out of my Father's hands. Now unto him. Who is able to keep you from falling? the others fail you won 't Christian you won't you will not lose your salvation and to present you for his glorious presence without fault, without blame, and you've a lot of, me, and me have a lot of things we could dig up, haven't we? You will be presented when you die and without fault and without blame. And well, we just made it, we just scrambled it enough. With exceeding joy, with great joy, with great joy, with great joy, right? He's able to keep you from falling, right? To the only God, our Savior, right? Be glory and majesty and power and authority. Jude's just about taking off. You see? How is it possible? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, through all ages, now and forevermore. That's what it's about. Jude says we've been rattled. The only thing that matters is you have to ask yourself Am I really born again? Am I just following the crowd? Am I just here because my parents come? Am I really in? But if you're in, my friends, you are safe. For I am convinced, I am certain that nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus.